Hey everyone, this is going to be part two of our conversation with Kevin Johnson. Click back an episode to listen to part one. Speaking of encounters, and since uh, the, the series that we're going through now on methods is is vision, and um, we've done you know things focusing on like mechanical physical vision, like you know a meditative object, like a candle flame or a cloud, or so on and so forth, or um, kind of a, a mental vision uh, or imaginative vision, like in Ignatian contemplation and using the scriptures to. Uh, draw yourself into the story and experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to read something that I that I saw in the the Bhagavad Gita, and this is uh, Iswaran's translation in chapter eleven, the Cosmic Vision. So he says, uh, "Behold, Arjuna, a million divine forms with an infinite variety of color and shape. Behold the gods of the natural world, and many more wonders never revealed before. Behold the entire cosmos turning within my body, and the other things you desire to see." But these things cannot be seen with your physical eyes. Therefore, I give you spiritual vision to perceive my majestic power. And then it goes on. He appeared with an infinite number of faces ornamented by heavenly jewels, displaying unending miracles and the countless weapons of his power. This, I mean, my brain immediately went to Revelation. Right. um, And and the account of John. And and there's so many other examples of, of this. But where do you think this kind of intellectual vision plays in like is it is it uh our categories through our sense perceptions that our mind has that filter and interpret divine truth or is it that like as cynthia bourgeau might say that there's an actual not physical but corporeal imaginal type realm where these things actually exist and mm. we're actually seeing them in a way. Mm. Well, I mean, and that, that comes right out of, I mean, the question you're asking right there, it goes right back. You can go to Plato and Socrates. Like, what, what do you mean by the forms, Plato? You know, like mm-hmm. uh, the mind is supposed to travel to the land of the forms and it has a vision of ultimate, you know, so beauty, truth, justice. It sees those forms where all human beings, if every soul saw it, would look and go, yep, there's no debate. There's no opinion. That, by definition, fact for fact, capital T, truth, is beauty, is justice, mm-hmm. is whatever. Um, and it's because, quote, we see it. And so then the question becomes, you know, Platonic philosophers, it depended, like, is the forms, is it just language to talk about something that's ineffable? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, are we, or is that us just saying, hey, it's like a vision, you know, mm-hmm. is it is it a metaphor? You know, because vision, why use vision? Well, because you can see things from great distance and you don't have to touch it. You get a lay of the land. You can see it in all, like you can see 180, you know, like imagine like a hawk or if you're on a mountain and you look down and you can see a vision of the of the village, you see where everything is. You see the way the river's, river's flowing. You see where all the buildings are. You see where everything's set up. You couldn't have that if you were buried in the village. You would not have a sense of seeing it all and understanding the whole piece as one big piece. Mm-hmm. So this idea of seeing the the totality and understanding from a distance you know, and engaging. And then I also like to point out, because no one ever thinks about this, but in the ancient view, especially in the West, um, the, the way vision worked in the ancient world is what we call extra mission. And no one ever talks about that. We we have a modern view of, 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 um, of vision, which is, you know, the light refracts and hits our eyes and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, in the ancient world, they did not know our science. And so Plato, Socrates, and those guys, the the theory of how sight worked was there was a light in your eyes. It's called the light of your eyes. And mm. when you opened your eyes, light rays left your eyes and went and touched whatever it was looking at. So for oh. it's 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 a deeply embodied knowing. You're you are in touch. Whatever you see, you're touching. Mm-hmm. Right. So think about how that changes the way you approach vision um, in the old world. Like I even say to people, like, why would it, why would it be like, why would you tell a woman to cover herself? Well, a stranger looks at her. It's like they're feeling her up, you know, like they mm-hmm. they're touching her with her eyes, mm-hmm. with the light of their eyes. That's a, mm-hmm. a vision is a very intimate thing. 
Okay. You know, I mean, and so it's not just distantly removed. It's a, it's a kind of an embodied knowing and it's, and it's in a total, you're knowing it in a way that's a complete. So the question becomes when you see something, um, it's a, there's two people there, right? So there's seeing, and then there's, we have experience and encounter. I'm going to split into two words now. There's seeing, and then there's beholding, Mm -hmm. right? Seeing is me doing something. Mm-hmm. And that's my ego doing something. But beholding, who's the one looking at somebody? Well, if you and I were beholding each other, who's the main player? Well, that mm-hmm. does not compute. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. There's two main players. There's just one kind of beholding happening. And so that's what they meant or oftentimes by vision and revelation, et cetera. In Christianity, the idea of a theophany, you know, of God appearing is God shows up and there's this beholding. Mm-hmm. You see God and God sees you, and there's this intimate bonding, you know. And there, what also is interesting about this is who does seeing? Ego does seeing. Ego's in charge. I do mm-hmm. it. In beholding, you can't have it. You can't make it happen. Anyone mm-hmm. who's tried to, quote, have silence or tried to meditate knows the more you try to be silent, the more your mind thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's completely governed by the, what I call the paradox of intention, um, it, the more you want it, the less you'll get it. Mm-hmm. So if you want it, you have to let go of your desire to want it and then you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like, it's like trying to fall asleep. If you try to fall asleep, you're going to be up all night. You're an insomniac. How mm-hmm. do you, how do you fall asleep? You count sheep or do something else. You forget that you're trying to fall asleep and then sleep comes to you. Mm-hmm. That's why Christians talk about grace is the idea is that you can't will God showing up. That would be your ego making something happen. That's not how this works. How it is, is that you have to train to let go. Mm -hmm. Kenosis, empty, ascesis, Mm -hmm. as you were saying, self-forgetful. And when you do that, God is already here. Like that, that's the, that's what Christianity is saying is like, there's no, it's not like God went anywhere. The only reason right. you don't feel God is because you're caught in your little ego world and you don't yeah. notice that. If you drop that, you'd like wake up in God's arms. Yeah. And that's, and that, that's grace. That, you know, it has that to reminds given. me too, that like in, and I, I try to keep this in mind when I'm, you know, uh, in a situation where I'm at a church witnessing a, religious ceremony or something like that. I, I have this, the, the pa- another passage from the Gita that always uh, comes up. Um, and I'm probably going to misquote it cause I don't have it, uh, marked out, but where Krishna tells Arjuna that, that he is, uh, the devotee making the sacrifice and that he is also the fire yep. and he is also the butter in the fire and yep. the sacrifice. Like yep. it's all one thing happening. Yep with the ego kind of covering over and thinking that it's separate right. and that it's doing the thing. But in actuality, it's just, there's just one thing happening. Right. I mean, and, and, and bring that over to Christianity where people don't make this connection. It, remember Jesus of Nazareth is, is God. Mm-hmm. So like, think of the theology of Christianity. Like I'll often hear people like, Oh, God required a sacrifice. Yes. What did God require? The sacrifice of God. So God is sacrificing God to God. (laughs) It's exactly what you're just saying about Krishna right there. Like it's all one piece. And that becomes the model of what it means to be involved with divinity is like, if you're a Christian, you follow Christ. So what you do is you let go of self and, you know, like, just like Christ lets go. And then what happens? God appears. Yeah. I I love that, that radical theology reading of the crucifixion and everything. And I meant to say something earlier when we were talking about silence, but I don't know if you've ever seen the the Scorsese movie silence. Uh, I, read, with, I read the book. I, I didn't see the movie version, but yeah, I love that movie. And, and people I've, I've talked to that have been able to, you know, stick with it. Cause it's a long, yeah. slow movie, and, but and it's um, brutal <laughs> and it's brutal, but they, a lot, a lot of people that I've talked to are like, oh, I didn't get it. Or like, oh, it was kind of harsh, you know, this and that. But like, to me, it was so beautiful because he, you know, at the end, well, spoiler alert, everyone, you know, if you don't want to see it, turn this podcast off right now. <laughs> yeah, don't, but, you know, don't you know, at the end when, you know, he 
uh, seemingly becomes apostate, you know, and you think like, oh, well, you know, what a shame, like he's, he's giving up his devotion to Christ and this and that. But to me, I was like, no, that's the moment when he becomes an actual Christian. Like that's, and yeah, he became, how did you become Christ by denying Christ? Like he he actually, because if it's a total giving up, then you give up everything, even my name of being called Christ. Yeah. And and it seemed being called Christian. I I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, it's paradoxical, right? I mean, you, how do you hold on to it by letting go? Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's the paradox of intention. I hold this by letting go. And and that's that's the movement here of you can't make that. That's why I say it's so important for our culture. Uh, our culture is about, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. Achieve the best top 10 hacks to best life ever. And they're like, no, wait a minute. There's an actual part of our consciousness and awareness that you cannot make happen. You can mm-hmm. only kind of learn to have the the contemplative skills, Martin Laird often says, like you just cultivate certain skills, and that when grace is ready, when it's a when the gift is ready, it arises, and you yeah. can't determine when that will be because that would be your ego doing it, and by definition, that's self conscious and aware, and that's not the shift to this other thing. It just has to arise, you know. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of weird in that, in that the things that uh, I find acutely develop despair and other people kind of invigorate me yeah. in that way. Yeah. Like, like I have, I have a, a friend that I always joke with that is, has a really serious like fear of, of death. Like she does not like death whatsoever. Right. And, uh, I, I saw a quote, uh, I had reposted the other day about, um, ultimately everyone will die, including you maybe soon. Right. And, and to me, I was like, oh, that makes me feel awesome. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm just like, this is great. Like, what a relief that you don't have to right. uh, extend your existence into perpetuity, right. you know, as your, you know, your grand ego project. Right. Or, or the, the other idea that I like is that um, nothing will make you whole and complete. That's right. Like this, this constant search for something that will complete us as this external object that we search for and the, the initial, the dialectic is, you know, like I'm searching for something that will make me whole and complete. And then the antithesis is there's nothing that will make me whole and complete. And the synthesis is, well, then I'm, well, then this is fine. (laughs) Like, you know, this is, it's combining the two things into a resynthesis of the initial statement. Right. And, and if you think about it, it, like, and so see that language right there is playing in the realm of rationality of words and ideas, but like, see what happens is the beauty of like, this is why you see in like koans, paradox. Like if you read the Tao Te Ching and it's all paradox and enigma, if you read like what you just read with the Bhagavad Gita of like how Krishna like unites everything and it doesn't make any sense or koans in Buddhism where it's like, you know, what's the, what was your face before your mother was born and, and all mm-hmm. these kinds of things. It's, it's to stop the rational part from happening. And so that kind of paradox of like, there's nothing that will satisfy my, my search and fulfill me. Well, okay, great. So in that, if that's your answer, you've stopped and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. fulfillment is there. Because yeah, you've now but, but a level up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because you're not thinking anymore. You've now been pushed to a place of not thinking but just at rest. My heart is restless till I rest in you, O Lord, Augustine. And you know, so mm-hmm. th- like this idea of one rests in ultimate reality, not in things. Yeah. Um, and, and anything that can be quantified with a word. And, and so even the word God, um, you know, all these words we're using religiously are, are things. So in order to get mm-hmm. at what things actually are, you have to drop them. And, you know, you have to be religious. You could just do this like I do this with my students all the time. Like, tell me who you are. And they'll say mm-hmm. oh, my, their name. And I'm like, if you change your name, are you who are you still you? Yep. OK, so you're not your name. So tell me who you are. And then they tell me where they live. I'm like, if you change your address, are you? Yep. And we just go through one by one. We strip, we strip, we strip. And then finally I go, who are you? And they like, I don't know. And then I take a breath and I go, rest in that. This is who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you could put all your words, but like your but words, 
Yeah. They don't immediately go drop the class after that. Yeah, no, they all look at me like, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah. I'm, I'm a very kind of intense teacher. They don't know what to do with me. That's great. I play mind games like most of the time. Every time they think they know what's going to go on, I, I flip the table on them. Um, That's great. But uh, yeah, I mean, so, it, it's funny that you're, you know, you, you, so you talked, I, I keep thinking back to the question you asked about vision. I mean, all, and I think about it now of all the different visions and all the different religious traditions, like every tradition basically has this moment where we behold and mm-hmm. they might have a practice for it. So you might start off uh, like, so in Hinduism, you, you do puja, you know, you worship and mm-hmm. they'll pull the idol out. Um, you know, you bring your statue out and this is the God or the goddess. And this is the God or goddess actually here. And you'll feed the goddess, you'll wash the goddess, you'll offer sacrifice to the goddess, you'll, you know, light a candle, you'll say prayers, you'll, you have your offerings, you'll chant, you'll do these things. But the thing is, it's called darshan. And darshan mm-hmm. is viewing. And it's, it really mm-hmm. should be tr- translated beholding because it's the mm-hmm. idea who's doing the viewing here and for us we act like oh we're seeing the the idol or the, or the god no god is get it you get a chance to show up in front of god it totally twists mm-hmm. it shifts it instead of us being the egoic person doing this thing it's like no 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 you get the you get the um the joy of going in front of the god today and letting the god look at you and if the, mm-hmm. and if you're deeply in this prayer, that moment of beholding can happen where you both are seeing each other, and it's a profound yeah. beholding. And so you asked the question before: Is this real or not, or is this another realm? I you know I don't know how you would answer that, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, rationally, I, I could decide, I can make arguments about it. Um, I think if you're going to push my intuitive gut, I, I've gone back and forth over the years. I used to think this was all just metaphor. Um, we're talking about something that was ineffable. I kind of land as I get older. I mean, I, and I reserve the right to change my mind tomorrow, you know, because I'm open about this. But like, I, as I grow and as I think about it, and the more I do my practices and everything, I, I tend to be like more, a little more like Cynthia Bourgeau. I, I, I do think there's an invisible realm, an ineffable realm that is true, and that's actually part of what it means to be a human being and to, for the universe to exist. And mm-hmm. that we have access to it and that mm-hmm. there's parts of our body and consciousness and awareness that's kind of like behind our back. That's like, you know, back here. And I could, you know, I almost imagine like if I put my hands on the back of my head and I try to look at my hand, I can never see it because my eyes mm-hmm. are always faced forward. My ego mm-hmm. is my eyes. They're always faced that way. I cannot get back there. But the back of my head is in that realm. There is something back there. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that's what what we mean by the holy and the sacred and the divine, and that each of these traditions are trying so hard. These are people. Every tradition seemed to come out of a vision, and I'm my hypothesis is that religion basically started out of like hunter gatherer, shamanistic kind of things, where we're hunters in the woods. We started to notice everything was alive. And what we meant by that, we, at first we just meant physically, but over time we started to realize that whatever we mean by, quote, spiritual life force, mm-hmm. the invisible, was going on. Now, they meant that electromagnetics, they meant germs, they meant all the stuff that we know about in science, but they also mm-hmm. meant, I think, kind of like force, you know, mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. force, energy, other things that mm-hmm. science can't measure. Um and they were aware of it. They realized that you could flow in and out of consciousness, that you could, you know, do a drink ahuyaska and go to the land of the jaguar goddess and talk to her. You know, I mean, go to that mm-hmm. invisible realm. You could go in your dreams and imagine things. Like, for instance, I didn't, I wasn't going to mention this, but now it came up. So I'm going to mention right about five minutes ago when you were asking me a question, I had a strong case of deja vu because I realized I dreamed this about a good three or four months ago. And all of a sudden, as you're talking to me, like I dreamt that I was doing this. I didn't, I had forgotten, but as you said it, I was like, oh my God. And I knew the next sentence you were going to say when you were asking the question. And so like, how do you describe that? That experience of like a deja vu or I've dreamt this before. And I've had that a lot of times in my life where something's happening and I'm like, and the door is going to open right now. And I real, mm-hmm. because I, I've dreamt it or I've seen it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think, I don't want to be so hardcore like materialistic or dualistic about it like like to make it a real place like the way my mind Mm -hmm. wants to concretize 
But I do want to say it's real in some way. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how to say that without turning it into some weird thing my mind is going to do something with. Real, but not corporeal. Yeah, or maybe corporeal, but not material or or something. Like, I don't don't know how to label this. I want it, just like I want a distinction between experience and encounter and seeing and beholding. I Mm kind of want to talk about something existing, but, but, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the next thing is after that. Like, it's here, but invisible or, but not invisible, but I, I don't know what the word is, but. I tend to be a little bit more on the it's real as opposed to metaphor kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that. That's something that uh, keeps coming up in, in circles that, that I frequent is, you know, whether it's, uh, like, I, like I said, whether it's a, a filter product right. or whether it's, you know, an actual product. Yeah. But, I mean, um, I'm open to the idea that it's a filter. I mean, because yeah. I, I, I know I'm guessing. It's mm-hmm. kind of an instinctual. And that's probably why I've, I've fluctuated over the years, sometimes said, nah, it's just pure metaphor. And the other times like, nah. So right now I'm in the, eh. maybe yeah. next, maybe next week I'll say it's metaphor. But it's funny how we only say, eh, when we're rationalizing after the fact, Correct. when we're in it, there's no like, uh, no. Mm, I don't know if this is real. Yeah, exactly. no, no. <laughs> when you're in it, it's as real as it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. so fast forwarding, like, uh, I don't know, 4,000 years, um, uh, this this account is from I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him Mike McCarg um, he goes by Science Mike usually he was a co-host on the Liturgist okay um, but he wrote a book called Finding God in the Waves oh, okay uh, I think I heard that t- when that came out I'm pretty sure that t- that title sounds familiar yeah he was kind of like a, a super Baptist and then military atheist and then dialectical synthesis of you know a scientific mystic yep. now yep. um but this is his account of of the experience that that he says changed his life he says uh time stopped the wave seemed to stand still as if an unseen hand had pressed pause on the universe's remote have you ever tried to look through a sheet you know how if you stretch the sheet tightly you get a hazy image of whatever's on the other side of it as i stood on the beach in the wee hours of the morning everything in my surroundings took on that stretched translucent quality I could see what I can only call the glory of God on the other side. I felt God with me, in me, and through me. I felt connected to the source of life and the source of all. Through God, I felt connected to everyone else, all of humanity, and then to all life on earth. All my doubts and questions were swept away in an ocean of light. I had no more pain or sorrow. Suffering made sense as a part of a grand tapestry, one of the millions of colors in the palette of creation. So... Mm -hmm. Have you ever had some type of experience, not necessarily exactly like that, but like something that activated your sensory faculties in that way? Yeah, a, a number of times, actually. Um, not Again, not exactly like that, but as you were reading that, I said, yeah, I know that place. Uh yeah, so the first one is the one in the church when I was a kid. I mean, it, it really basically was that. I had a I, I I don't know how to describe it, and it's so many years now, and I've tried to analyze, and I did. I went to spiritual direction about it. I, I talked to a therapist about it. I've, I've thought about this so many times that now you start to wonder how much have you colored, how much have you added over the years, how much are you adding, you know, like incorporating something from some movie you saw. You know, you start to question and doubt your own kind of memory because it's it's old. You know, it's an old memory, and you've analyzed it so much, you start to wonder where the, everything blurs. But the initial um, feel in the church, and that's probably the safest way to go about that, is the feel of time kind of stopping um, and feeling that everything in the universe was right. I had a little more sensorial kind of uh, not only just vision, but I also heard. Um, I, I heard stuff and, uh, you know, I just don't know how to quantify that. <laughs> it's so weird, but I've also had, um, a lot of times in nature, things have happened like mm-hmm. that for me. Um, I went to Mere Woods a few years ago for the first time. Um, and it was this absolute, uh, one of the most moving experiences of my life. Um, I just was in this 
ancient forest. I mean, what's great about Muir Woods, it's one of the forests in the United States that was not completely clear cut. Mm -hmm. So they did start to cut in it and then they stopped really quickly and it's like, leave this alone. And it became a forest that was protected. And they've gone out of their way to try to protect that uh, environment, that ecology and let it be what it is. So there's stuff in that forest that's ancient, that, mm-hmm. that was never cut. There's like ferns and moss and fungi and birds and insects and animals that have been there for generations upon generations, thousands of years that have never died. And have mm. just like, there, it's one living organism. We walked into that forest and, and like the hair went up on the back of my neck. And I said to my wife, I was like, do you feel it? And she was like, yeah, it's weird in here. And I was like, yeah, this is beyond weird, honey. And I just like, I almost felt nauseous. It was just, I I didn't expect it. I just thought we were going to go see some pretty trees, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just like knocked me out. And I, my wife said I was pale. She said, are you sure you're all right? You're scaring me. She's like, you do not look good. And, and it was just, it just felt like, like I was back in the time of the dinosaurs or something. Like time stopped. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, what is going on? And this is reality. And I didn't want to leave. I've gone mm-hmm. back a couple of times since. And every time I go in, I'm like, yep, this is home. Like, I just do not want to leave this place. Um, and uh, I've had a couple of those in California walking like uh, in the desert, uh, mm-hmm. in Joshua Tree uh, National Park. I was there and there, where there was a drop away of Vista and it took my breath away. And it was this, I had this absolute utter moment. Tears started coming in my eyes. I was like, life is like, like he described as like, everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. Every war, every disease, every death, every it, it all fits. It all makes, mm-hmm. not that it's awesome. Not that I'm like, yay, death, you know, no. It's <laughs> just like he said, like somehow it's woven into a tapestry and the whole thing just fit. And mm-hmm. I realized my insignificant, and I, I dropped away. Like this is me talking about it after the fact. In the moment, there was, it was just like the mind stopped. You know, mm-hmm. and then like afterwards, it's me trying to put words on it after the fact, trying to describe it. Um, so, yeah, I I recognize that. And I think that's why I think, as he said, like looking through the sheet, like you feel like there's something behind and you feel like you're right on the edge of being able to see whatever that is. That's mm-hmm. why I say I, it's something, <laughs> not just a metaphor. I just don't know what to do with it. Do you, do you think we're supposed to say anything? Because it makes me think of the transfiguration and you know, at the end, he says, "Tell no one." So, so are are we are we meant to uh, try and rationalize or, or metaphor, uh, you know, create metaphors for what we've seen and try to explain it to other people, or is it, or maybe it's just a gift, right. you know, just yeah. for us. I think I think it's kind of it's a little bit of both, right? Um, I think on one level we can't help. I mean, the divine knows that uh, humans are curious, and we're going to put words on it, and we want to know. It's part of what we do. I mean, Genesis, God gives us stuff, and right away we name it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, what's this thing? I don't know. Called a dog, you know, like mm-hmm. Adam and Eve for like walking through and get naming everything, and so it's part of what humans do. It's it's that's why I said, thinking and rationality. It's wonderful. I'm not. You know, don't stop doing that. Do that. It's just that's all we do. So it's like, okay, so practice this other skill. And this other skill, I think the reason Jesus says stay silent, and I think the reason like you have all these kind of esoteric traditions, like there's secret passwords, or I can only tell you if you're an initiate of the group, if you're in the brotherhood or the sisterhood, is because it's about taking it seriously and to notice the moment. That it's, mm-hmm. this isn't your typical everyday, that we're talking about ultimate reality. And there has to be this kind of profound, humble, humility, respect. That's how you approach this. You won't yeah. even get there unless you take it with humility and respect. And so yeah. that's the beginning stages is come on your knees, take your mm-hmm. sandals off. This is holy ground. Yeah. Um, and then and then that kind of puts you already in the frame of mind that already puts you in the embodied state to receive because you're not the one going after it. You're, you have to wait till it comes to you. And then uh, to realize it's kind of a warning to you, like the more, as soon as you give it a name, man, you're out of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. As soon as you start, you're not, you're no longer here with me, you know? So like, yeah. so be quiet, stay quiet. And then if you give this, it's powerful. If you give yeah. this information to people, it can be misused. Dionysius even says it in the celestial hierarchy right. when he's, you know, or in the, or actually it might've been um, mystical theology. I think when he's when he's talking about the initiation rites in the in mm-hmm. the priesthood, mm-hmm. you know, he's he basically issues a warning like, you know, hey, this is for people that are going in 
you know, you don't explain the, the, the theology behind this stuff, except to people that are going in because they're not, number one, they're not going to understand it. And two, they're not going to, uh, do it justice if they were trying to, you know, to explain it. And so three, I, I feel like that's like yeah. the entire Christian tradition sometimes, right? you know? No, absolutely. That, that the idea, um, uh, not only and not only just those two, but the third thing is that it becomes a actual block because if I give you a word, you think you know it, mm-hmm. and then you're like, "Well, I get it." So, like, and this is what happens in Christian tradition. I think this is why mystical theology is so problematic for so much of the church. It, well, first off, not anyone's talking about it, but then even when you do talk about it, people want to approach it like thinking and creeds and words and processes, and. And you're like, listen, <laughs> you have to stop doing some of that and do this other thing. If you're going to, if I give you the word and you think you know what God is, well, then you're never, ever going to unite with God. You know, mm. like there, you're never going to have. So, so basically that kind of the argument of don't tell anybody, keep it quiet is kind of like, let the door stay open. Let them walk through it. If they really yeah. want to know, let them walk through it. If, if you give them a word, they are, they're like, oh, I got it. It's a joke. My brother and I, I work with him doing wellness stuff and online and everything. And we do mindfulness and all sorts of things. And one of the things he jokes around about is about the human body and he'll learn like a technique on exercise or something. And it's the kind of technique, again, it's like meditation or something. You have to do this a million different ways and it's different for each person and it's different each time. And he was at a certification process and the guy came in and he's like, okay, so we're going to learn this, learn this move. And the guy goes, all right, just show me how to do it. And the guy showed him and he goes, okay, I got it. And the, and the teacher goes, wait, you, he burst out laughing. He goes, you got it. And the guy goes, yeah, I saw you do it. And the teacher goes, I've been doing this for 50 years and I still don't understand how this works or whatever. Let me tell you, you don't got it. Just because I gave you a tool here doesn't mean you under, you have to do the process now (laughs) and you have to practice and perform, you know? Uh, Are you you familiar with uh, the band Me Without You? Yeah, I know the, I don't know any of the work, but yes, I know of them. Yeah. They they kind of uh, grew up in like a uh, complex religious upbringing with, with different faiths, but okay. it, it reminded me of, of this one lyric. Uh, he says, I said water, expecting the word would satisfy my thirst. Right. Talking all about the second and third when I haven't understood the first. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like people have gone to church, you know, like you that was the problem I had as a kid. I was a thinker. So I approached religion as give me these words. If I read these words and have the ideas, it's like I'm learning in school and, oh, I know everything there is to know about God, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when you realize that, that knowing doesn't satisfy and there's like still like more and more questions and a lot of this stuff is contradictory and, oh my God, it doesn't make sense. And, and then you start to wonder because rationality approaches the world in a very particular way. So if you turn theology into kind of a rational project, well, it's going to fall apart because mm-hmm. by definition, every tradition is saying this thing we're talking about can't be described. We mm-hmm. can give you some words. We can give you some tools. We can give you some techniques. It's real. Mm-hmm. But it can't be analyzed this way. The thinking can help you get there. It can help you on the path. It can help you do some stuff. But it's not going to actually get you through the door. <laughs> yeah. the, the last thing is to drop the word water so that you can actually satisfy your thirst. You know? Yeah. Stop, stop reading the menu and actually taste the dish. Yeah. Bingo. Right? I mean, and that's kind of what whole why mindfulness and everything's popular now. It's, it's, it's because we're trying to recover that aspect that we, it's not in our culture, you know? Um, and, and pro, I, I say all the time that we have the problem now, uh, the Buddhists, um, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, the, the Tibetan master, uh, called this spiritual materialism is that mm-hmm. everybody goes and learns the newest, hippest, coolest yoga or meditation technique or visionary thing, or I'm supposed to go and do my shaman drum circle and trip on Ahuyaska or go have a vision quest with my peyote, or I'm supposed to like meditate or do breath work or whatever. And like what you're trying to do is that's your ego trying to have ideas and experiences to make yourself feel good. You're not mm-hmm. actually doing what that all those activities are supposed to be pointing to, letting mm-hmm. go of ego. 
You're actually, right. you're, you're actually using it to build your ego up. And so I call it, um, so they have mindfulness is everywhere. So you have corporate America teaching mindfulness to people and it's mm-hmm. the hip thing to do. And so now you got this term called Mick mindfulness. It's like, you know, for a quick dollar yeah. 99, you, you too can be mindful and hip and cool and go move to Silicon Valley and be Jeff Zuckerberg or whatever. Uh, you know, and it's, that's, absolutely the opposite of what it's actually trying to do it's really Mm -hmm. it's not that mindfulness is broken it's just that you're not using it for what it's doing because the category you don't have the right category right i mean that's that's basically what my work is and what i'm going to try to do online is i'm finding even at university i try to teach this stuff and the kids are coming with thinking and planning and ideas and rationality they're being very scientific and technological and i get that but i'm like if you use that lens to understand what I'm about to talk about, you're not going to get what I'm talking about ever. And so I want to be that guy who's kind of like David Abram, the philosopher and others, who's kind of saying to the culture, hey, let's bracket the fact that I'm religious for a second. I get it. You guys are secular. Okay, fine. Let's do this. Let's do this a secular way. I think the categories are broken and Mm -hmm. that the true human experience has this other moment. And so let's add this other moment. And when you do, then we can then, if you're interested, we can then come and talk about some of these religious things. But before that, can we just talk about knowing and thinking and experiencing and living a human life and saying there's this other category? And that's why the Encountering Silence podcast and everything I do is kind of, I just want to teach those things. And if you're open to that, then, okay, now you're hanging around on my webpage or coming to see me give a talk or a workshop or whatever. Now I can also add some of the stuff from these other traditions, not as a Catholic trying to be Tibetan Buddhist or anything, but as a Catholic, like, hey, they have practices and stuff. How similar are they to mine? Where's Mm -hmm. the similarities? Where's the differences? And doing that kind of comparison and study helps me reinvestigate my own tradition and understand it better. So I don't ever have to convert, but I also, at the same time, I get to know them very deeply and I know it better than, you know, I would have not knowing. And so now I know more about myself and know more about my neighbor. I don't necessarily, like you said at the beginning, you don't have to mix it into a smoothie. Mm -hmm. You can let them stay their own separate things, but put them side by side and they'll resonate. Yeah. The image I have is, I I play music. So the image I have is is the tuning fork. If you have two tuning forks and, you know, if I ring one and hold the other one next to it, this vibration will make this vibrate at the same key. Mm-hmm. because they have something similar in common. And so that same note will vibrate, that same pitch. Will, yeah. will. And so the same thing, if I bring something from Christianity close over to yoga, and if there's something there that's of the same key of Christ or whatever, of that kind of realm, it will vibrate. And mm-hmm. I can then see what vibrates, what resonates and say, all right, what's going on here? As a Christian, you could say, oh, I think Christ is at work over there doing something. What does that look like in that tradition? Mm-hmm. you know, um, and why and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Rumi says, uh, uh, first I was raw, then I was cooked and now I'm on fire. Right. And, and that, that being on fire, when you get close to something that's on fire, you, you, you get warmed yeah. or, or you, or you catch on, on fire yourself. Right. You know, it's funny when you were reading um, that quote from the scientist with the waves, it reminded me of a quote from Andy Dillard. She, um, she wrote a poem, uh, not a poem, she wrote a, a short little essay, and I think it's called The Field of Silence. And she talked about how she went walking and it was stopped by kind of a, like a meadow, um, not, not a meadow, I think like a, a pasture actually. I think she was watching sheep or somebody graze or something. And she said, all of a sudden the world stopped and, uh, and everything resonated and she's like an angel spoke and like, and so it sounded again like that. And so we as human beings now in modern times have turned religion into this kind of very narrow category. And I think it's originally was a much broader category. It was about how to live a life. It was how to walk in the woods, like or, or in the pasture, like Annie Dillard or this man walking and seeing the waves and then mm-hmm. recognizing this is part of the real. And this is what it means to be a human being and to be alive. And then why practice these paths? It's not to say the reason you practice a particular path. People even say this to me, Kevin, why do you stay Catholic if all these other traditions are so amazing to you? And I was like, well, you know, the only metaphor I can give is like, why do I stay married to my wife? 
Um, you know, there are plenty of lovely women out there. I, I'm a heterosexual male. Um, I, there are plenty of women I'm attracted to who I think are beautiful mm-hmm. and I could probably live a great life with, but they're not my wife. Mm-hmm. And there's something unique about her. And when I'm with her, something unique comes out with me. And there's a bonding that happens because I met her. Mm-hmm. And there's something about Christ, something about that tradition that speaks to me. I tried for years to walk away and be an atheist and to be other things. And Christ he always comes back. So I feel mm-hmm. like there's this, I don't know if it's just because it was my first one as a kid, uh, if it was the language I learned, you know, maybe I'm bilingual, and, but I, you know, I, I spoke English first. So it's the natural home language. I, I don't know what the metaphor is, but I stay Christian because that speaks to me. Now, that's not to say that I don't love these other, I do, I have holy envy. I think there's unbelievable stuff in all these other traditions, but I always find that it's almost like Christ is talking through those other traditions to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's, you know, that's why. So uh, when somebody says to me, oh, when Kevin, if we don't make this, you sound too loosey-goosey. If we don't have rules and regulations, if you make it sound like you're supposed to study other religions and compare, no one will be Christian. And I'm like, Boy, talk about somebody who doesn't have any faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it seems to me that if God was the truth, God will fight. You know, what? what is that, that line? Um, uh, a truth, the truth is a lion. Let it free and defend itself. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if God is the truth, then there's nothing to fear here, right? I mean, because yeah. God, will, God will win in the end. God is the truth. If God's not the truth, I'd like to know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to know I- sooner rather than later. I, I say the same thing about how um, reading through the the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and the Vedas and everything have made me uh, be able to reframe the, my my own Christian tradition more precisely and right. and to be able to uncover some of the things that were there, right. but that I just needed to hear it a little differently. Bingo. And and then I'm like, oh, I get it now. It's Bingo. not something that I just have to write off as like, well, that you know, that's a relic of tradition or that doesn't make sense. But Bingo. Um, it's just putting it in a slightly different light that that makes it pop and and then I can appreciate it so much more. Um, yeah. And that's, but, that's why I, I, you know, my degree, you know, for graduate school is comparative theology and it's that very moment, like comparative religions. Cool. I, I do that because universities make me do that. They're like, Hey, you know about these other religions teach religious studies, but comparative theology is really where I hang my hat. And that's basically I'm grounded in a tradition. And then I reach out to understand these other traditions. And in the comparison, it's exactly what you just described. That's the comparative method. You're like, I have a home tradition and I trust it's true. And yet something's resonating over there. What's going on? You do this comparison and then you see it shines light back on your own tradition. And you go, oh, wow. I never, if, yes, yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. And now that makes me understand Christianity so much better, even mm-hmm. though you're not combining categories. It's just because they had a language or a lens that was slightly different. So you were able to then like uncover and unpeel something that didn't make sense to you slightly. Mm-hmm. And now, now you're like, oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. And that and and then you feel even more at home in your own tradition and yet you know this other tradition too at the same time, you know, and it's yeah. and it's kind of nice. You're like, "Okay, I understand my my neighbor. Um they're different than me." And yet, yeah. it's funny we have some of these places that resonate and it's lovely, you know, and that, that's a nice meeting point for us. Um I I felt that way about um specifically like religious devotion. Like um, in the in the Protestant church, you know, there's this really uh, heavy, uh, loving, like Jesus is my boyfriend kind of devotion to this figure, either historical or otherwise of of Jesus or of the Christ. And, you know, post quote, you know, like deconstruction, I didn't know where really to put that. And I kind of just always felt uncomfortable, you know, in, in those spaces. But after, you know, seeing how devotion plays out in other traditions like, uh, like Hinduism and the devotion to Krishna, yep. like yep. it, my brain almost like translates it on the fly. And like, at first, you know, my hackles might want to, want to go up when I, you know, see this devotion right. to Jesus. But then if I mentally almost, uh, replace it with with krishna right then it's like oh okay i see what's going on here like i see the supreme person is being mediated by this 
stand in this icon yeah. of Christ and and then and then I can relax into it and I can even participate in the devotion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and so. and, and I mean and it's really interesting too. I, I the study of Hinduism um I remember my first introduction to Hinduism before I was dealt it and other things is I read Houston Smith's book uh, years ago. And and it was it, he, there's problematic stuff with that book, but there's also some useful things as a way in for me um, because mm-hmm. it was really kind of a nice translation for Christians, I think, almost like could use that book as a nice translation, is that he when he was breaking it down into the four different kinds of yogas and he was mm-hmm. like, listen, there's a kind of yoga that that has this kind of love, this kind of mm-hmm. devotion. And if you if you realize that's a practice and that this kind of union through love and you're like, oh, well, that's well, isn't that what Christianity is? It's yeah. kind of a yoga through uh, the devotion to Christ, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you're like, OK, yeah, all right. I get it. I get it. And it, it did. I agree with you. It kind of unpacked it for me in ways that I wouldn't have thought of before. Um, mm-hmm. My rational mind wanted to fight and kick hard against that. But then all of a sudden I had another category and I was like able to just ease in. I was like, yep. Yeah. OK, I'm cool with this. I'm cool with yeah. this. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I just find it. And, and the more I do it, you know, it's it's so fascinating. It just always happens. Every time I think I know, I uncover something else and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And then it mm-hmm. always uncovers a new thing in Christianity for me. So, yeah. Because I'll, I, I have the luxury of, you know, a lot of academic scholar friends. So I'll discover something and I'll be like, hey, um, hey, any medieval people could tell me about X, Y, and Z. In Christianity, mm-hmm. and one of my friends goes, "Yeah, what do you what do you want to know about that?" I was like, "Do we? Is there any texts that do blah blah blah?" And I just, I basically don't tell them I'm thinking of like a Tibetan text, you know, mm-hmm. a Tibetan Buddhist text, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, a text like that would be, and then they give me like middle, you know, medieval kind of text that has like Jesus and Mary and this, and and I'm like, "Okay, good to know, thanks." And I go pick up the book, and I'm like, "Son of a gun." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like like a practice that Tibetan Buddhists have, and yeah. Um, yeah, and I and I think there's a lot of crossover. To be honest with you, I mean, again, speculation. You could never prove this because we just don't have the data for it. But I think there's a there's been a lot of borrowing and cross pollination pollination of uh, mm-hmm. different traditions over the years. Um, I'm pretty sure that Western philosophy was influenced by Asian philosophy. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Pythagoras and stuff was probably had some Hindu influences and stuff. The Jewish shamanistic tradition, which uh, if you look at some of the esoteric stuff that doesn't get talked about often, um, but was has an oral culture and then was written down, had a huge influence on Platonic philosophy and mm-hmm. uh, and probably Christianity has its connections in kind of mystical Judaism that goes all the way back before there was writings. Um, And so it's just funny, you know, Tibetan Buddhism formed in Tibet, you know, like 700, 800 CE. Uh, And what was happening? Well, it's kind of like there was shamanistic, there was Tibetan shamanism and Indian Buddhism was there in Tibet. And there was also Syriac Christians who were practicing mm-hmm. what the desert fathers and mothers were doing in the caves in Tibet. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Tibetan Buddhism and they're doing cave practice and I look at things and I'm like, this looks like Christian visualization practices. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence that they are, but I was like, but what are the odds, man? You know, darn well in the year seven and 800, when the Tibetan Buddhism was formed, there were people in caves practicing shamanism. Mm-hmm. There were people practicing Indian Buddhism and there were people practicing Christian visualization practices in like the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Yeah. How, it's like how, a syncretic kind how did, of... How did Tibetan Buddhism not learn from all three? It seems to me yeah. all three are there in the tradition, you know? Yeah. Now, they're so mixed, you could never tell what was. Right. Which is, which is a shame because uh, we lost a lot of Syriac Christian practices. It would be kind of cool if we could have traced out what, you know, what they were doing. Right. Um, well, well. <laughs> lost to the lost to history, you know, what can I say? But I think that's why if you're a Christian and you bump into something in Tibetan Buddhism and you're like, ooh, and I'm like, yeah, because there there might have been something going on. There. I, I can't prove that, but that's mm-hmm. my guess, you know. Mm. Based upon what we know historically. So what a world we live in. Yeah, it's it's so well, spectacular. I want to, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, yep. so, so where can people go to keep up with you and your work? 
Well, you know, it's great that you ask. Um, so I have a website being built. Um, you can type in kevinmichaeljohnson.com. Um, and right now there's not much there. Um, there's kind of just a little like a sign-up sheet or whatever if people want to stay on a newsletter and let me and know. I, I plan on releasing some online classes, doing some audio stuff, doing stuff that's philosophical and religious, etc. I also do some health and wellness and embodied stuff and stuff out in nature. Um, so kevinmichaeljohnson.com or theendofwords.com. Um, they both will get you to me at some point because that's the name of my website, Silence, The End of Words. So. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on again. I, I did not expect us to talk this long. I think it might be a two-parter. Um, <laughs> so, because um, there's that. so much good stuff. I don't know if I want to cut any of it out, well, but, um, but so you'll be, you'll be doing a, a guided meditation as well. So I'll, I'll tack that on to the end sure. of, of one of these. So what kind of meditation will you be doing? There's uh, one that's a visualization practice that comes from Nicholas Acuza. He wrote his on the vision of God. He wrote a, a mystical letter to monks to tell them how to have how to have visions of God. Um, so, so there's yep, there you go. Uh, and that was what my dissertation was uh, is on is on that topic and in, in comparison with uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Um, because they do a visualization practice. And so it's a comparison of that work. Um, and that works. That's kind of fine. But I also do kind of a visualization embodiment practice that comes out of Tibetan Buddhism. That's kind of, um, uh, that combines like with breath work and visualization practice. Um, and then there's also a, an, a visualization and a kind of uh, guided meditation practice I do with my students uh, where there's kind of nature sounds and stuff. And and so there's quiet and you, I ask you to be in a natural surrounding and then I guide them through things. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. I have to uh, get on the road, but thank you again. Oh, yeah, 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 we'll have to do this again you know, sometime. And, and if you ever just want to not record, if you just want to have conversations, I'm always looking for like-minded individuals to have good conversations about. It sounds like you're doing amazing yeah, reading. Yeah, sure. So, so. Well, Kevin, uh, have a great rest of your day and uh, stay away from public places and crowded uh, environments. Yeah, well, now, now my uh, my desire to hang around in the woods makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, take care. Take care, bye.